This is the Pfeffer on Power podcast. I am your host, Stanford professor, Jeffrey Pfeffer. Every other week, I try to bring on to this show someone who I have met in one context or another, sometimes through my class, who has used the principles of seven rules of power and the principles that I teach in my class to do what the subtitle of this program talks about, accelerate their career. I want my guests to help you become as effective and successful as they have become and to use the principles of what I teach to become more effective, to change lives, to change organizations, to change the world. Today, our guest is Robin Lumsden. I met Robin when he came first to Stanford to the what is called the Sloan program or the MSX program. It is a one-year Master of Science and Management program. He then got a second Stanford degree, and he's kind of now known as the Stanford person in Austria. We're going to talk about that later. First of all, welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your career prior to arriving at Stanford? You can talk about your work in tennis and the military and the law firm you founded. In other words, what did you do before you arrived at Stanford? So from the outset, I would have to admit, I, you know, I was fairly busy prior to coming to Stanford from a fairly young age, though. My dad was a professional tennis player, so there was a certain logic for me and my brothers to excel in a tennis career as well. So I believe I started working at the age of seven as a somewhat professional tennis player. And um, ultimately, I ended up playing, you know, in Wimbledon and the French Open for the Brazilians who listened to that podcast. I lost in Wimbledon to Gustavo Curtin. And great lessons I learned in the individual sport of tennis. And that's actually one thing. Every step in my career, I was able to use the knowledge gained in my previous career and combine those lessons learned. I decided at the age of 19, 20 to quit my professional tennis career for various reasons, and um, decided to join the Austrian Special Forces. We kind of having a mandatory draft in Austria, and I decided to volunteer to the Special Forces, very similar to what you guys in the U.S. have compared to the Navy SEALs or the British SAS. And I enjoyed my time there extremely. I you know, was fit and mentally prepared from the tough sport of individual tennis, and I really did enjoy the teamwork one had in the military. And especially in the Special Forces, we might get back to that later when we talk about leadership skills, each and every individual per se has the same kind of training. So you all equal. So you can't really lead a team by rank. You have to lead by example, by just being a great leader naturally. And there are lessons only the military, I believe, can learn you to some extent in that capacity. After I felt, okay... I did my duty. I'm a patriot, an Austrian and European patriot. I felt, okay, let's kick off in the next step of my career. I started law school, did my PhD in law, which is very typical for European Union countries to have a PhD in law to practice and become an attorney. Decided to study law in the US, initially in Berkeley, graduated from law school in Berkeley, started working for law firms in the US and in Europe, became a partner eventually at a firm, and then started my own firm and then felt, well, yeah, I'm a business attorney in that capacity. I was lucky to do certain M&A transactions, for example, when Volkswagen bought Porsche and other huge deals and decided 
I'm not done yet. I don't want to be the European expert. I want to see what's out there. And there's no better place to learn at a large scale, I believe, than the US, the largest economy on the planet. And so I decided ultimately to come to Stanford. And go back to your law firm career for a tiny little bit. You did, in fact, when you were a lawyer in Austria, you did advise on some major deals and you were involved in some major litigation. You want to talk about just a couple of those because I don't want you to undersell yourself. I mean, you, you were involved as an adversary for some of the most famous lawyers and law firms in the U.S. and were involved in some of the biggest deals, not just the consolidation of Porsche and Volkswagen. Talk about two or three of the deals you were involved in, some of the people you were on the other side with. So I believe what is unique about me as an attorney, and I will get back to certain deals at a later stage, is that I'm dual qualified. So I'm fully qualified attorney in the US and in Europe. And that actually provides me with a unique position with my own niche of advising large European corporates with litigation issues in the US, respectively US companies or English speaking companies with any kind of issues, acquisitions, problems, legal problems they need to solve in Europe. Because I speak in both languages and I advise in both legal structures. And one of, for example, of the more famous litigation cases, I did advise a European-Austrian company, namely, it's in the media out there, so a listed Austrian airport, in a fantastic litigation case in the US, in New York, And the very famous Ellen Dershowitz, which at some point of time was the advisor of Bill Clinton when he had legal issues. He was the advisor to Trump, uh, a very famous Harvard professor indeed. And um, we had a case, a litigation case, and you know, I'm lucky to say that with a lot of hard work, we were able to win that case, a multi-hundred million litigation case against the, at that time, I believe, most famous attorney in the U.S., And other deals I did, I did a lot of legal work for Palantir, which is now a super successful listed company out of Stanford. Peter Thiel, Alex Karp are the guys running that company. And not only when Volkswagen bought Porsche, which was a super interesting deal. Unfortunately, to this extent, I was the attorney advising Volkswagen because the guys who did advise Porsche at the end of the deal were granted the right to choose a Porsche for themselves. And I was only offered a 25% discount on any Volkswagen <laughs> model. So I should have picked the other side in those deals. Thank you. Thank you for that. So explain why you came to the GSB and what you learned there. So at that point of my career where I felt there's not so much to learn for me anymore except for gaining more experience as an Austrian U.S. attorney, I felt, all right, I'm a business attorney. I do advise business leaders, owners of companies, and I want to, to some extent, speak more the language of, of the business world rather merely than the legal world. So for a long time, I felt like the MBA in Stanford would be the right appropriate tool for myself. And I had more freedom than others to pick classes that I felt would excel my career. And as you said, I was very strategic about it before coming to Stanford. My aim was to get to know some of those super successful, famous professors, business people, as you know, that run around and teach at Stanford. So my aim was to get a flavor and to feel the intellect of Condi Rice, who is somewhat one of the superstars on campus, 
And I was very strategic about getting into her class because, you know, and the listeners can imagine it's super competitive to end up in her class. It's a 10 students class and the whole campus ultimately tries to get into that class if it is taught at all because she doesn't hold that class too often. And I remember sitting in my business school class and she shows up and talks a little bit about politics. You know, every student gets to see her at least once at the business school. That was the flavor I had. And she came and nobody was cared about asking a question. Everybody felt a little bit intimidated. You know, there's the famous Condoleezza Rice. She ran the country on 9-11, arguably. And then she made a comment about Europe. And, you know, I'm a confident, proud European. And then I challenged her somewhat intentionally and said, Professor Rice, excuse me, but isn't it the strategic intent of the U.S. torpedo the European Union and the unification process in Europe. Isn't that the case? And no hard feelings about it. I can understand it on a global level that it makes sense for the U.S. to have the benefit of discussing certain issues with France, with Germany, but not with the European as largest market on the globe at a whole level. She reacted fairly emotionally and told me, well, you Europeans, you're going to call 911 when the Russians fly along the Swedish border. And she made that rough statement, and then I had the kind of feeling, all right, now I'm going to apply for your class. This was too rough and kind of too rude, and I felt she was super confident. And so then I applied, and she gave me the chance, arguably to make up for that rude statement, or she felt I need one of those semi-arrogant Europeans in my US-centric class so that the class makes more sense. And so I was lucky to end up in her class. It was fantastic. I had a one-on-one, one-hour session once a week with Condoleezza Rice. I had three meetings a week, three hours with nine other students. And it was super challenging, but I was really aiming, A, to get a feeling for how do these people at that level and that success operate? And is there anything magic about them? Or is it just hard work and being smart and strategic? And I was super satisfied after that class. And the same is true for a class I got myself into with, you know, the very famous Eric Schmidt. And the same ultimately, of course, is true with the very famous Jeffrey Pfeffer, Paths to Power class. <laughs> All right. And one of, the, one of the things I want us to talk about now is how you used your time at Stanford to build your brand in Austria. I mean, you sent me, I have, uh, and when we release this podcast, I'm going to put it on our LinkedIn post. You sent me magazine covers with you on the cover of major Austrian publications. You became known as the Stanford man in Austria and by the same token, the Austrian at Stanford. So you really built an amazing media presence, which I'm sure has helped both your career and also your business. How did you do that? First of all, what was the motive behind it? And how did you actually get yourself so much fabulous media exposure? So the idea behind it was, hey, I'm spending two years abroad. I'm not able to run my firm locally on the European, German-speaking. I always call those three countries, Austria, Germany, and Switzerland, the Germanics. I wasn't present in Austria, so I needed to ensure the continued success of my Austrian branch of my firm via my clients getting a certain flavor of what is Robin actually doing? Where is he? And I felt communicating that fantastic brand, Stanford, to the Europeans 
actually explains why does somebody who is the managing partner at his own firm and owner decide just to leave and you know he's successful and depart. So there, you know, there was a, some kind of need of explanation. And I felt it's a competitive market. The legal market is fairly competitive. I need to do something different than my peers. So prior to coming to Stanford, I ran into a chief editor of a magazine. He thought, hey, it could be interesting if you start with every month in our great newspaper with something about what you do at Stanford, who you get to meet. And I decided to marry that idea with my intent of securing funding, U.S. funding investments for my home country, for the Germanic area. And in order for that to be logics, as well for the American investors, as well for the arguably recipients in Austria in my home country, I need some kind of media presence and make people aware in Austria, Robin is the go-to guy if you want to secure investments, foreign investment from the U.S. We're a Western country, we love the U.S., and it makes a lot of sense. We're a high-tech country in Austria, rich country, but I felt I need to contribute to the aim and the wealth of my country as well. And I think it was a win-win story for each and everyone, for the media, publications. They love to get those positive messages that I delivered from the U.S. There is a certain level that developed over the time of Robin explains the international issues, the globalization issues, digitalization as well, in a very easy and transparent manner. And he also talks about the investment he secures for Austria. And my dad always used to say, nothing builds more success than success itself. I believe you mentioned something like that in your class as well. <laughs> and it was a win-win, you know, the, the Alex Carps and, you know, those big players and companies, the Eric Schmitz, uh, they loved my idea how I solve problems. <clears throat> I learned in your class as well, and I felt we had a couple of discussions about that with the other students. You know, it's not pure marketing. You always need to deliver a certain kind of consideration and value to your peers, to whoever you do a transaction with. It needs to be built on a solid consideration. Everybody wants to get something out of it. People, except for your loved ones, and arguably these as well, they always want something from you. And if you deliver, I think you can build somewhat kind of a handshake mentality, but it's a give and take. Again, my dad used to say, you've got to give if you want to get. And I think I was fairly creative and uh, had a certain talent to fast come to a solution to identify what do those people like Eric Schmidt, Condoleezza Rice, and those stars around there, what do they actually need? And so I was able to identify problems they had to solve for their respective organizations or their careers in Europe and was lucky, you know, again, to have a certain kind of success at an early point in my relationships with those people. And again, when people see you provide somebody of that scale with a certain kind of success and you can contribute to his wealth or her wealth, that leads to the other and all of a sudden, you know, you kind of end up being a train of success or end be perceived as such. Yeah. And I think one of the things you did, if my memory serves, which it doesn't always, is when the Austrian prime minister came to the U.S., you actually facilitated introductions to some of these people. And I believe one of the things that you've always done is make sure that if you've introduced high-status people to other high-status people and a picture is taken, Robin is in the picture. Well, actually, you know, I was more the introvert when it came to that 
but uh, it, a certain tradition came that people said when they come to Silicon Valley, they want their Robin picture as well. <laughs> and, um, and I felt, again, I'm an entrepreneur. I do invest a lot in marketing of the products. And my company, respectively, my companies now produce and have whatever the product might be. And I learned and educated myself and to some degree also forced myself to say, hey, this is a unique opportunity. If people are willing to do so, why not be part of it? This is a process, and I think you teach that super effectively in your class as well. And I want to start to explain it maybe in the fashion. Us Europeans, we tend to have a little bit more, or not all of us continental Europeans, but at least the Germanics, we have a little bit more introvert culture per se. We don't talk about money. We don't talk too much as it is perceived. Not polite if you talk about yourself too much. And I think in order to be successful, you have to overcome certain cultural barriers that you grow up with. And so I'm very assertive to certain cultural traditions. But whilst being in the US, I can adapt to the Silicon Valley mentality. And it also relates to what you're talking about in your class about authenticity. I really remember, you know, and there are a lot of lessons I learned in your class that I do remember. And I think it's a game changer again and again for me to remember those. When you said, listen, guys, authenticity is a misused term per se, because you're only authentic in a certain context. And I can relate to that. I'm not the same Robin Lumsden when I'm talking to my kids, to my wife. I'm a very different person in my professional life as a formal attorney. I'm even a different person as an attorney in the US and in Europe. I'm different as an employer. So I'm different on the sport fields, maybe football or any other sports. And again, I'm very different in the military. So you're always only authentic with respect to the context you're in. And if you don't realize that, then I believe you have a problem or a disadvantage. And I always make sure, okay, I'm not trying to be authentic. I'm just trying to be the individual I am at that point of time in the morning or in the evening. I also learned in your class in the morning, my serotonin levels are higher. So I'm brave in the morning and the later the day, my serotonin levels drop and I'm more risk averse. And again, you can use that to your advantage. You know, if you want to manipulate a negotiation, think about what time in the day you schedule that meeting. Yeah. I really appreciate your comment about authenticity. And I also really appreciate your comment, which I think is a really, really important one, about getting out of your own way and learning what you need to do to be successful and being very practical. I'm Robin Lumsden. I'm running this firm. Why the hell am I in the U.S.? How will people in Austria remember me? I have an obligation to make sure that they know that I still exist. And so you did that, I think, quite effectively. And similarly, in the U.S., who is this guy? I mean, you know, many people in the U.S. probably can't find Austria on a map. Uh, as we know, you and I joked about people thought that Austria was Australia. <laughs> and, and, we, and, we, and we would laugh about that. You know, they would, they would confuse a Pacific continent uh, for a country in Central Europe because the names are in some sense similar. And so once again, you had both an obligation and an opportunity to build a brand so that people actually understood better who you are and what you were doing. In addition to the lesson of authenticity and in addition to the lesson of branding and in addition to the very useful lesson about the time of day when you do various things, are there any other things that you took out of the class or the books or anything that you think are important for the listeners to, to pay attention to? You know, if we had more time, I think there's a, there's a huge list of issues that I believe were important just out of my head. 
you know, you once said in the class, um, the world isn't fair, accept it. And I think about that because it's, you know, fairly easy to think about issues you can solve and then think about you might be able to solve them at the end of the day and take responsibility for yourself and your behavior. Maybe you can change a certain narrative or a certain baseline where you start from, but you can definitely control your behavior. Also, what I tend to believe, there is a certain European culture of using negative adjectives and disempowering yourselves. And I tend not to do that, aside from a private context, maybe. But then again, it might be, to a certain degree, intentional. And at the end of the day, I think you also mentioned in the class that 95% of all decisions we take are actually emotional rather than rational. And knowing that fact, I think you can also utilize it to your advantage. But Jeff, I got a lot from your class, and this is not flattering and not marketing. You know, I met the right people at the right point of time in my career. Great mentors, great people that gave me knowledge at the right point of time, and I was lucky and able to take that advice. And I still remember, you remember me coming to you, I think, to your office, asking you a couple of questions. Some other students might have been intimidated by the brutality of what you told them. But I felt like, hey, that's great. I can, I can work with that. And, um, because I believe you're testing the students as well to see how do they react if you, you know. <laughs> I, I gave you, I don't even remember the advice I gave you, but whatever advice I gave you, whatever you did was amazing because you left Stanford. I mean, there's literally, I think one of the publications actually has something about Stanford Man or something. Isn't that what this is? Or Silicon Valley Man. Yeah, no, it was my Silicon Valley. And then that was one of the cover stories. Believe me, you know, journalists from other magazines, they come to me and here and they tell me, hey, they loved that whole line we did with, you know, they, again, I was lucky I ran into an editor who felt, hey, letters from Stanford to somebody who writes regularly of what he's experiencing makes sense. And lucky they use a lot of pictures. The power of pictures, you can't underestimate. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so before we end, bring us up to date, Robin. Tell us what you're up to these days. What are you doing? What are your plans now? Stanford is kind of in the rearview mirror. You still come to my class. Thank you very much for doing that. You make a great contribution to the class. What are you up to? What are you doing? What's next for Robin Lumsden? <laughs> so as I made sure that my firm is running well, as well in Austria, as well, both the East Coast and the West Coast in the US, there is actually a new adventure that I started beginning of last year where an opportunity arose where I could acquire an American football franchise in Austria. So football is fairly popular in Austria and in Europe, and there is a team called the Vienna Vikings, and they were invited to play in the newly founded uh, European-American Football League, which was started by a couple of American-German VCs with a lot of money in order to become the second most important American football league on the globe after the NFL. And so... Every once in a while, again, in a Stanford business school class, I was taught that it's very rare when you get the chance to secure a franchise, especially at an early stage where the franchise is not that expensive yet. And so I joined the team. I have an American football background as well. I was able to quarterback for an Austrian team for a while and I decided to invest and Lucky me, our team did at the end of the day win the European League. We won against all those German, Barcelona, international European teams. And, you know, was handed over the trophy as there is the U.S. tradition of handing over the, the Super Bowl trophy, in our case in Europe, to the owner of the team. And 
you know, I love that. And so I'm, there's a fair amount of time that I spend these days in order to scale that franchise. And my American clients love it. They fly to Vienna, have a great time here, get to see American football here in Austria. It's the fastest growing sport here in Europe. And um, so that's what I'm doing these days. And every once in a while, I do a deal for Novak Djokovic, tennis ATP number one player, get to do a little business for the Schwarzenegger family, and then do my M&A and my usual legal stuff. But I understand I need different topics to stimulate myself every once in a while. And as you said, I feel I have an obligation to contribute by various means. I'm a lucky individual, and um, I want to build on that. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for the talking about, and I think, you know, as you see in the U.S., and it's, it's true in Austria and in Europe as well, having a sport team and having then the publicity and the pictures that come from winning that trophy. I know you sent me those pictures. You are so proud of winning the trophy, as you should be. Congratulations as an owner of that very successful sports franchise. This has been the Pfeffer on Power podcast where every other week we talk to an interesting person about what they have done to build their career. Today we have heard from the amazing, and I mean he is amazing, Robin Lumsden, who has gone from a tennis player to the special forces, to law, to business, now to being an owner of a sports franchise. Who knows where he's going to go in the future? Always paying attention to building his brand, always paying attention to getting out of his comfort zone, always paying attention to thinking about what can he do for other people to build the relationships that will in turn make him successful. Thank you so much, Robin, for being on the Pfeffer on Power podcast. We are available on Spotify and Apple. Follow me on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled P-F-E-F-F-E-R, which is a nice Austrian way of saying pepper. <laughs> uh, and we are on Spotify and Apple and all the major platforms. This has been the Pfeffer on Power podcast. Robin, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. <laughs>